You are listening to Startups for Good, where we explore high growth and high values ventures. I am your host, Miles Lasseter, three-time founder turned investor. Join us to hear stories of entrepreneurs. Join us to be inspired to be a founder or to work for a startup. Join us to be part of a community that believes startups can be a force for good. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We're in about 20 episodes now, and I've really enjoyed making it for you. We would love your feedback on the show. Please visit our website at startupsforgood.com and click on survey. It'll only take you about five minutes, and we'd really appreciate it. It will help us make the show better. Thank you. Welcome to Startups for Good. On today's episode, I speak with Diane Yu. Diane Yu is an entrepreneur turned venture capitalist. She's founding general partner of the Houston-based Mangini Capital, which is a medical health technology venture capital fund with 100% sole minority leadership. Diane has invested in over 30 companies with a focus on pushing the needle for women and diversity and utilizes her extensive experience in advising over 100 companies to provide counsel to global founding startups while impacting her community, serving both on boards of venture capital diversity funds and advising investment funds that impact diversity and inclusion. Last summer, Diane was diagnosed with COVID-19, but her entrepreneurial grit and resilience prevailed. She led her team at Menagini to launch, close their first fund in record time during the most challenging market conditions caused by the global pandemic, and successfully closed an oversubscribed fund. She's invested in medical and healthcare companies like remote patient monitoring for vital signs, a surgical device for brains, stroke screening device. And on this episode, we talked about her background as a founder herself in many different industries, how starting a VC fund is similar to being a founder, how she brings inspiration for other Asian American women despite obstacles, and her journey of both being an investor in COVID-related companies and also a COVID patient. I think you'll enjoy it, so stay tuned. Welcome to Startups for Good. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Miles, for the opportunity. I'm excited to be on. Maybe we could start with telling a little bit of your personal story. You've had success in so many different fields and and now an investor. I'm curious to hear how you ended up as a VC. Absolutely. I'm an entrepreneur turned investor. So firsthand, I understand the pain points of being an entrepreneur and empathize with them. I actually uh, was an entrepreneur for over a decade ago and built a portfolio um, in uh, food and beverage as well as consumer and continue growing that, securing a lot of national deals, local, national, regional deals, and uh, really can do it with my eyes closed, and then dabbled also into restaurants. Uh, but I, eventually, I turned into fashion design. I was actually a fashion designer. I like to say I was in, quote unquote, the sweatshop, because I truly was in the back uh, doing sketching to designing you know, the fabrics. It was everything but glamorous. But I loved it, uh, and it really brought out a lot of the creativity that we are missing in business. So it was a really great excursion for me. And then from there, I never told um, you know, my boss that I was actually an entrepreneur, a businesswoman. So I went into uh, the corporate retail side after that and spearheaded digital. And I realized there was a huge gap in this industry at that time. Uh, where Instagram had just come out. So it was a wild, wet, you know, wild, wild west. There's no re- regulations on Instagram. There's a ton of uh, data out there that we could pull. And I was, you know, I came up with this idea of 
uh, a lot of on the Instagram marketing side. This was a long time ago. And within two days, we had over 100 people got the data and survey out there and it confirmed it. In two days, we had over 100 influencers sign up and we had over 10 throughout my fashion network designers sign up in companies. Diane, if you have this product, we need it. So it was a matter of me building a team, getting funding, getting going. So I started the roadshow. Um, and so it was a very successful um, in terms of getting to the roadshow and uh, learning a lot about pitch competitions and uh, learning about that. So it was, it was really exciting. And then we made it at the qualifi qualifiers at the largest uh, rice business plan competition, student competition in the world. So very exciting time. Uh, from there, I saw actually a lot of women leaving, and this was earlier in the day back in Houston, one diverse woman leaving to other cities, of course, to Silicon Valley, to more robust innovation ecosystems where there could be people, experts who could help them grow companies. We saw a lack of that in Houston. And so I started interviewing and talking casually to women entrepreneurs, what's going on. And um, there just wasn't enough uh, ecosystem there to support them. So I dug down deep uh, with a network that I had and thought, uh, you know, maybe I should learn more about VC. So at that time, I was doing my Rice MBA, took my first VC class. And Miles, you know about entrepreneurship, there's something about this thing called gut instinct. And as a serial entrepreneur, you know, this is it. This is something I could die for. This, this makes sense to me. And that was VC. Took my first class fell hard in heels over love and, and this and pursued it. I was told at the beginning, there's no way you can make it. There's not enough jobs to begin with in Houston. And I knew how difficult it was to raise money as a woman minority entrepreneur. Uh, but on the investment side, there was a stark opportunity. And so dug deep and started from the bottom and got to where I am today. And since then have uh, done investment networks, angel networks and uh, venture funds. Um, numerous, uh, and also worked with universities as well. So that's where I am today. Yeah, thank you for telling us that story. Again, so many different areas that you've been involved with. I'm curious, before becoming a VC, what was your interaction as an entrepreneur with VCs? Did you raise money? Did you try to raise money? And what was it like? Absolutely great question, Miles. So again, as a woman minority entrepreneur, it, it was hard to find the right people that could really understand what I was doing. Aside from just being a woman, a minority, that's, let, put that aside, being in fashion, you know, in Houston, as soon as I spoke to angel investors, it went over their head. Uh, that's not the majority, obviously, being in Houston or even in, within Texas um, to have, a, a, you know, expert fashion VC investors. Um, and then tech went over their head too, right? And so, Combining those two together was really difficult to fundraise, but I knew on um, the fashion industry side that it was a huge, it, it was needed, it was, the company that I had built. I was actually considering maybe we should be fundraising out in the New York or you know Silicon Valley, but it was, I had the first uh, hand experience of understanding the stock disparities of raising for, uh, as a woman minority in the fashion tech world. Very difficult. And how does that inform your approach to making investments today? Absolutely. So we see, you know, hundreds, if not a lot of deals. And 
as an entrepreneur to an investor, I understand the pain points as, as you know, fundraising, building a team, uh, all the difficulties of an, uh, growing companies as an entrepreneur. So I can empathize with them. It really helped me understand there's a huge opportunity for women, diverse investors to pave a way to become experts and to reach and help these entrepreneurs and really make an impact, but furthermore, create a legacy. And that's what my personal branding is about, is creating an impact for women and diverse investors in the venture world. And what can we do to really uh, elevate and create opportunity and put more women and diverse people in executive, uh, you know, VC positions. And as you were raising money with this thesis to make investments in a more diverse teams, what arguments were you making to your limited partner investors about why that would be good? And as you know, diversity outperforms. You see that on the financial returns as well. You know, it's not more so that we're, we want to focus on solely on the, like a color lens type of thing, right? Um, because they're a woman or because, you know, their ethnicity, but more so it's like when I speak to entrepreneurs, for example, and they ask me, how do we get to the top? You know, you see a thousand deals, how do we get to, on top of that pile so you can see us? And I say, I don't really look at this by color or gender, but I challenge you as entrepreneurs to be the best person of excellence. And that's what's going to catch my eye. Of course, aside from relationships and other ways to do it, but uh, really having an excellent pitch deck and everything, uh, you know, I's and T's dotted and, um, will help raise it to the top of the day. And tell us about starting your own VC firm. How do you go about doing that? Absolutely. It's, it's not difficult. I was told no many times in the beginning. Um, so initially I started, I was crazy. People thought I was crazy. I took an internship, didn't non-paid internship. I didn't care. I fell in love with VC. I knew this is what I wanted to do. So I uh, started as an intern, got in where I could. And, and I highly recommend if anyone wants to get in VC, get into a boutique VC or boutique firm where you can wear multiple hats. So you're not pigeonholed into just being one, you know, certain thing as an associate or as an intern when you do one item. So luckily I was able to do a lot and I was able to learn quickly and run this small organization and grow, grow that organization. Um, started with the, a lot the called Convergence Ventures and then worked with the Rice Angel Network. Uh, we, well, I was able to help build that out as a managing director on the operations side as well. To, we hired over 10 staff. We were speaking with countries across the world on, uh, we would hear from Africa to Asia, uh, Europe that would want to be pitching part of the Rice alumni family. And so continually working that and building network and relationships, really powerful. And from there, I, I, was, I just jumped and started my own VC. And really, it's all about being an entrepreneur moms. It's about building the right team, the right high-performing team, and the right people. And how did you choose to focus on healthcare? Great question. I'm not a doctor, but I understand investments in VC and had a track record in that. I could pull together within my network resources and know-how and operations side of the fund, but I wasn't a doctor. So I tapped doctors that had specifically MD, MBA, with experience with med tech or entrepreneurial experience, and then continue to build out the team from there. And that actually became our greatest advantage point, right? Is that we soon, uh, entrepreneurs are like, you're leading a deal. 
because of the expansive network we had in medical across the U.S. Um, that we could tap into. Is there a company that particularly inspires you in your portfolio? So many, I can't, I can't play favorites with, <laughs> with them, right? I don't know where to begin. I don't know. Yeah, what, what, do you want to tell us about uh, Vitals, for example? Yeah, Vitals has, you know, it's funny uh, you mentioned that because I, I actually had COVID about seven months ago. I was a triple threat. So fundraising during COVID, we were launched during COVID. And I caught COVID when we closed the fund. It was wow. extremely difficult for me. I was hospitalized a month and a half. I couldn't breathe, Miles. Oh, no. And I uh, was bedridden. And uh, I've been sick before, but COVID was another level. Even to this day, I still have these long-term effects. I'm a long-term hauler. Everything tastes like cigarettes, and it's really musky and moldy. But it's getting better. And then we invested in COVID. So it was a triple threat. Uh, and so Vitals was one of those COVID-related companies. It would have been very helpful at the time if I had it. And so Vitals has gone on to be extremely successful, as you know, with the pandemic and the time of war. Yeah, tell us more about the product. Yeah, so Vitals is a patch, basically. It goes right under your near the heartbeat, under your chest. And basically, this was all much earlier in the pandemic uh, time. And so a lot of everything was going virtual. We weren't really doing Zoom at that time as much as we are now. But basically you can connect with the doctor. Like for example, when I went to the ER, I went when it was really bad. But if you didn't know when to go into the ER, you could use this device to connect with your uh, family doctor, your immediate doctor and tell them the symptoms. And then they, or if you had COVID and you went in the hospital and they wanted to follow up with you, everything is um could be uh, communicated through these devices called vitals. So we'll be sending them all the information. Yeah, that sounds extremely important uh, now more than ever. Don't just listen, get engaged. I host a giving circle to support startup tech nonprofits. What's a startup tech nonprofit, you ask? A startup is an organization seeking to grow that is new tech, meaning using software to scale with lower to zero marginal costs, and nonprofit, meaning organized as a public charity. So support innovation by seeding nonprofits leveraging technology to scale. Go to startupsforgood.com and click on Giving Circle. I'm curious to hear more about your work with universities. You did the Rice Angel Network, and now you're doing even more with universities. Yeah. So just with my track record with universities, um, I actually now advise many funds on launching funds and uh, strategies to launch funds and work with actually over eight universities now uh, on that. Um, and I think the network that I'm building is very is, is going to be a great network. And now we have opportunity to co-invest across over eight universities. And that's only been within the past year. And I hope continue growing that across the nation. And my, again, my passion is really what can we do to empower uh, more diverse women um, investors to the top executive levels. And I think through this network, not only we have access to talent and innovation, but we'll have access to really now fast track them into really uh, strategic executive positions later. Do you consider this diversity and inclusion passion, do you consider that your mission? I do. It's definitely called in what I would call my zone of genius because it's something that I've lived much like I've lived through COVID. And I understand the pain points of it. 
Uh, and I see the great advantages of being a woman minority entrepreneur and investor. When did you realize this was your mission? I would say I've always had, to be honest, uh, a passion for being, uh, speaking out for underserved communities way even before I was an entrepreneur. And that, that dates back to over a decade ago. Uh, today, I even have a national media platform that focuses just on that mouse to propel Asian American female leadership voices. And we're not talking about any leadership. We're talking about trailblazers and women that have broken through glass ceilings. And on our national media platform, we have podcasts, et cetera, and all that. But we ask him what, you know, a lot of the similar questions. And one common denominator, Miles, is that we ask them, you know, who do you admire in your industry that's gone before you? And what I hear consistently is there's been none. There's, we need to get more stories out there. I'm very passionate about getting more women and diversity representation um, and whatever we can do to fast track them into key executive decision-making positions and then through our media platform, highlighting some great stories. Are there people that you see as trailblazers for you? Absolutely. Where do I begin? You know what? One of them is not even in the BC world itself. Uh, her name is called Mickey. And I don't know if you watched the Parasite movie. It was a very famous movie that came out in Korea. Miles? I have to admit, I didn't finish it, but I, I did start it. She, to me, really epitomizes, you know, a magnet in Korea and uh, has made, paved way for artists to, you know, a mogul, a monument mogul in South Korea for entertainment, launching generation of filmmakers, to artists to create really just a cultural global phenomenon. She's my Asian woman inspiration. That's wonderful. What messages do you want Asian women to hear aside from these stories? Are there any practical advice type messages you want them to hear? Specific to what? Uh, what you were talking about this media platform and how you want to get out these stories. Is it mainly about inspiration or are there practical things that you want people to learn? Yeah, it is mainly inspirational. I think, um, to be honest, I am saddened by the sudden rise in all this uh, Asian crime and living in uh, Houston and New York. I'm in the streets of New York and I am scared to go out at night. So it hits me personally that, you know, a 30-year-old woman was stabbed in the back for no reason, just walking down the street. There was a 36-year-old man and there it used to be elderly. It's anyone. Anyone could you know, in the hands of um, an unfortunate situation walking down the street. If you look up and you say hi, like in Texas, you say hi with your eyes or even wave. If you did that wrong here in New York, a man got stabbed and almost killed for that. And I think the rapid rise in this Asian hate is something um, that is really prevalent to a wire platform is out there. And what can we do to really represent and the stories to inspire, you know, the, the good mission you know, there are successful traits to why these women have achieved such success. And a large part of it is because of, they, of the way they grew up culturally and how being Asian American has created some great advantages to their success. So these are stories I hope to, to hear more um, and maybe even create a movement in light of all this Asian hate crime, unfortunately, that is going on. Yeah, that violence is scary. So you've talked about the inspiration for Asian American women what messages do you have for others about diversity and inclusion? Absolutely. 
you know, to be honest, I think our communities can learn from each other. When I see, for example, the, the Black community, the Hispanic community have been very successful as Gonfo. They have, if something happens, you know, they have very strong networks. They have a activists at the front, you know. And so we have a lot to learn, to be honest. I think the Asian American community has, uh, can create a more powerful United Front. Just seeing how, for example, the unfortunate effects have unfolded with, you know, post-George Floyd in the Black community and seeing what has happened with, with all that post has been mildly incredible. And it's something that, where we can join together um, where they understand what we're going through right now with these hate crimes. Um, and it's something that no one should ever stand for. And I think we should join together as communities and what we've learned uh, and how they've uh, come forward with solutions. So I think it's an incredible, uh, mighty opportunity to come together. What do you think is least understood or what do most people misunderstand about venture capital and starting a venture capital firm? Great question. Well, you know, it is a start of itself. Many people think they maybe as many entrepreneurs may think very lofty, right? Like, oh, you know, that's I can get it done. And I've I'm actually help a lot of BC funds with, you know, that want to get up and going. But you really need to have a lot of key attributes to start a BC fund and and a deep Rolodex or deep network a really great uh, reputation as you continue to go out there and fundraise and be able to say, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're going to be told no more, more than you hear yes, right? So I would suggest if you were to start a VC, um, have really clear cut advantages on why an investor should come with you and what have you built out in terms of advantages that make you above the rest and what industries are you going after? For example, I went after medical because I was able to secure you know, in Houston, we are known for the medical center. We secure partnership with TMCX. And so really play to what you're passionate about and what you know and create some really great advantages. Be really creative in your strategic alliance partnerships and see what can happen from there. And also what is so unique about your thesis in terms of geography as well. So you said part of the differentiation was partnering with the medical center in Houston. How did you do that deal? It sounds amazing. Yeah, you know, I think it's all comes down to relationships, whether it be an entrepreneur to an investor, it all comes down to having a great uh, reputation, um, building a brand and having these relationships. And a large part of it is, you know, I know Martin Luther King has a really famous quote and I might quote it wrong here. You know, you're known not for fame, but you're known for service. And I, I'm 100% a component, you know, I believe in that. And so it's really about how have you uh, built out your community, serviced your community, um, and helped, you know, build these relationships. And that's, I think, where it comes from. What advice would you give to an aspiring founder? Great question. An aspiring founder that has no experience before or has... Yeah, yeah. early in their journey. Yeah. I would say number one, it's really crucial to build, as you build a high-performing team, the right team. And uh, for you, as you go out for funding as a founder, um, to ensure that either, you know, the, the team looks very balanced and you yourself have the expertise and experience 
for an investor to say this is this is a good. So from an investment point of view, we look at the founder, we look at the team as a big part of um, the vetting process. And so I would say dig deep into your area of expertise and also find how you can be disruptive as well. And then continue building on networks, more strategic on the investor side with potentially, for example, a portfolio. You know, if you know friends that are in portfolio companies or VCs and ask those introductions. Do you have a book or a website or article you'd recommend to aspiring founders? Uh, the Lean Startup is good. And I would say for VC, venture deals is always, you know, the holy one of the holy grails of the VC industry. Uh, those are some really two great books that I would recommend. There's a lot of books in VC. Um, the Business of Venture Capital is another one as well. Uh, but yeah, there, there are definitely books that I lived and breathed while I started VC. Yeah, great recommendations. Where, where can people follow you online? Absolutely. You can uh, go to my LinkedIn site and I would love to chat with you there. I have a website too, but you can find that all on my LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely, Miles. Thank you for having me today. If you liked what you heard today on the podcast, be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast player. And please give us a rating and review. The reviews help others find us. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow me on LinkedIn. Be sure to visit our website, startupsforgood.com. That's Startups for Good, all run together, no spaces, .com. If you were inspired today and want to join our online community or our giving circle, please do so on our website.